0: Well, we all know the Ducks' defense needs to get better going into next year. Is there any reason at this point in time to feel optimistic? Maybe. Maybe. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why if you haven't already, please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch. This show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So, the defense, we all know, uh, let us down in two games in particular this year. But I actually was encouraged by some things I saw in the Holiday Bowl. Now, North Carolina was missing their best receiver. Okay, valid. Oregon was also missing its best and potentially first-round cornerback. So, kind of evens itself out. I I don't know if that's the best offensive line Oregon has seen uh, this year, but I did think the pressure was better and more consistent, even on plays. The thing about getting pressure on a quarterback, it's not just about sacks. It's about forcing a quarterback to limit his window of vision so that he can't see the open guy on the other side of the field because he has to run away or duck away from the pressure. And I think Oregon did that much, much better in in that game. I I did see some signs of growth in in that holiday bowl that are not player-specific, but rather are coaching-specific, which is why I want to talk about them today on the show. The third down defense in the first half was kind of what we'd seen all year. Um, the third and nine that was a touchdown in the second quarter, you had two guys who were kind of spying, kind of guarding. They're just kind of, you know, not really doing anything. It's okay if one guy is spying, but I don't know why there were two in, in a sense. You had Keith Brown matched up on a wide receiver that resulted in a touchdown. And and again, on third and it's one thing if you allow a third and three, that means you didn't do your job on first and second down. But far too many times this year, we saw Oregon get to a third and eight, a third and six, a third and 10 and be unable to get off the field. And that situation was, was another example of that. There was also the the fourth and six conversion where they they went cover to sink and it was you know that soft zone that we saw too much this year that led to a uh, that led to a missed field goal for North Carolina eventually but allowed for too easy of of a conversion. However, would it intrigue you to know because it did intrigue me to know that North Carolina ended the game five of fifteen on third down. Now they were perfect on fourth down, which is. Again, the same sort of problem. It's situational play calling, assignment football on the defense, and execution. But I was encouraged that there were more instances, particularly that third down and 12, where it looked like North Carolina never really had a a chance to get the playoff. You had some pressure. You had good coverage. And it forced an incompletion, a field goal try. And it allows Oregon to, to go down. And go down and win the game, ultimately, on that wonderful touchdown from Bo Nix to Chase Cota. But I'm not saying everything has been solved, because I don't think everything has been solved. But one thing you have to remember, and I was talking about all the, the individual players who, you know, really stood out. Keith Brown, most notably among them on the defensive side. Mace Funa had a really good game, but... When looking at this Oregon team and evaluating them on a game-by-game basis and, you know, what they are now versus what they were when the season began, you can't forget to evaluate the coaching staff for for two reasons. Number one, this is Dan Lanning's first time being a head coach. And number two, he's not calling the plays on defense, though I wish he would, but he's not. Okay, that's what they've decided. It's more of a collaborative effort, but Tosh Lupoi is ultimately the guy who's saying, hey, we're going to run this coverage, watch for this, or do this, that, and the other thing there. Tosh Lupoi hasn't been a defensive coordinator for several years. And, and it's weird to think about coaches you know, needing time to grow and develop because they're adults. And we're talking about college sports here, and we're dealing with kids. And so you think about it in that context, and it's a lot easier to conceptualize in your brain. Because you say, well, you know, he's 18 years old. By the time he's 2021, 20, he could be really, really good. Well, coaches go through the same sorts of things. And I, I thought Tosh Lupoy, situationally, which was Oregon's biggest Achilles heel on defense this year. Was much much better in that game in a number of ways. Oregon was a little more aggressive. They played more man coverage. They you know got better pressure on the quarterback. They blitzed a lot more. I thought we were too reliant on just four man pressures this year against Drake May. We we're willing to say, let's throw five, six guys at him. Trust our coverage to hold up on the back end. I thought they did that against Utah a lot more th- this year as well. So. I'm encouraged by that. Obviously, we won't be able to see you know, how those adjustments carry over, how much better the play calling on that side of the ball gets in the offseason until September rolls around. And I think game one is Portland State. Game two is Texas Tech, and game three is Hawaii. And then the conference games, we won't know. I think that comes out, uh, I heard from someone in Oregon in January. So we'll get to actually know the dates of, of all those games because the way it was kind of put together this year, all the tough games were saved until the end. I mean, Utah, Oregon State, Washington—disappointing results in the three games. But how many other teams in the conference have to play three double-digit win teams in a row? It, it, it doesn't happen. You'd like to have those broken up. When those when those games get scheduled, absolutely matters. At the end of the day, if you're a good enough team. You'll overcome it, but it it was a little bit of a tough break where you had Cal and Colorado back to back. So, yeah, looking back on it, I really would have liked to have had Cal and then maybe Washington and then Colorado and then Utah and, you know, throw someone else in there like a Stanford and Oregon State. But, you know, it's just the way it worked out. You can't control that sort of stuff and you have to figure out what you can control, which is what happens on the defensive side of the ball. The other thing that that got better over the course of the game was the ability to rush a mobile quarterback with discipline. And it's a really tough thing to do because as a defensive lineman, when you're going after a quarterback, you're thinking, well, I got to sack him at all costs. I got to do whatever I need to do to get around this guy. But if you don't rush in your lanes with discipline, You create gaps for a mobile quarterback like Drake May. We saw him do it a couple times. I won't say a lot, but I think it was a lot worse against Cam Ward earlier in the year. Again, going back to that growth topic on on the coaching side and and the schematics and the play calling, I think it was better, but I still think Oregon can be better of, of learning how to contain mobile quarterbacks in certain situations. There was a third down stop Oregon had in the second half that was really, really good. It was really good. It was well covered. There was pressure. May tried to escape, and then he got sacked. I think it was Mace Funa's second sack of, of the game. Dorlos was in on it too. Those are the sorts of plays that weren't made at varying points in the season. You, you can't shut down a mobile quarterback forever, but you can help you can help yourself out by limiting what he's going to be able to do with his legs when you do that. And, and I think that's one area defensively that Oregon showed growth this year, which is encouraging. There's another encouraging sign, which you can have if you're looking for a new hire at your small business this year, which every day kind of feels like a uh, high stakes wager. But as a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023, happy new year, by the way, everybody. All depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs goes beyond the resume data by using insights from your job posts, company, and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions as always do apply. The other encouraging thing about the defensive performance in that game was there were adjustments. And I think at times this year, it felt like adjustments were lacking. But in that game, there were very clear and obvious defensive schematic and play-calling adjustments made by the defensive staff, Lanning, Lupoi, Pallage, who's not there anymore. I'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow. But I'm not too concerned about it. Anyway, that's, that's that's for tomorrow's show. But... The ability to make adjustments, I think, at times was lacking in sequences this year. I don't think it was there all the time. You can't make no adjustments all season long at halftime, employ them effectively, and, and say, you know, will Oregon won nine games in spite of it? Like, no, sometimes they were made. But it did feel like in the Washington game, in the Oregon State game specifically, defensive adjustments from the first to second half weren't really there. And you know Washington exploded in the second half, but adjusting to the adjustments and all those sorts of you know chess pieces that get made by coaching staffs throughout the course of a game, you don't think about it much and you don't talk about it as much uh, as much maybe because you just look at the results and that's what you're focused on, but that's what decides football games. <laughs> that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. And UNC, remember, in the first half of that game, their offense, led by a future NFL quarterback, as good as whatever Oregon will see next year in in the Pac-12. You know, Caleb Williams will be up there. Um, don't know if Cam Rising will be back for for Utah, but Michael Penix at Washington. Due to DJU is is at Oregon State now. There are a lot of good quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Cam Ward, Washington State, but Drake May is right up there. And when you actually look at his final box score. It wasn't that impressive. And if I told you that at halftime, you'd say, well, wait a minute. That means we have to play really good defense in the second half. And Oregon did. I mean, to not allow a touchdown with a future top five pick on the other side is a really tough thing to do. So I was encouraged by that. I, I am not feeling this sense of resolve of oh well they've they figured it out now. Like yeah, they, they they got it guys. All the defensive woes, it'll be the dominant defense we've been we've been waiting for, the best since twenty nineteen. Like no, it, it's it's not that sort of situation, but what I have always said here on the show, and will continue to say, is when you watch a bowl game, it's an opportunity to learn things about your team. And so, seeing that that potential is there with hopefully even better, more experienced personnel next year, I think is a sign of encouragement. I, I think it's positive, but I don't think it's a, a feeling of of finality at at this point in time. But. The ability to make adjustments like that and go from 21 points and the defense was a mess to you don't allow a touchdown in the second half and you get the key stops when you need to you got off the field on third down a lot of things to to be excited about on on that front excited might be a stretch but encouraged encouraged by on on that particular front and then you factor in that you know it was done without D J Johnson and then Mateo is coming in who has the potential to maybe even be better than DJ Johnson was this year, who was a good player. Like, he he was really solid, but Mateo has the potential. We'll see if he can do it as a true freshman to be a dominant force. Not Kayvon Thibodeau, but a Kayvon Thibodeau-type player because guys just aren't made like him <laughs> very often. Nobody's made like Kayvon Thibodeau. Gosh, that guy's a beast. I was watching him over the weekend. Every time I watch him play, he knows what he's doing, and he's he's just a, he's just a physical freak, man. That guy's really, really good. I'm gonna keep taking victory laps on that. I don't even know if anybody who doubted him watches or listens to this show, but I just want it out there in the ether because I told you months ago I was going to be obnoxious and I wasn't going to let it go because I thought it was so ridiculous. And hmm, yeah, I was right. Uh, speaking of good news on the defensive front and encouraging things, Popo is coming back. Now, some of you may be saying, "Wait a minute, who?" Who, who, who's coming back? Popo Amovai was a defensive tackle that the Ducks expected to start coming into this year. I think he played a little in the Georgia game and hurt his leg was out for the season. And so as a result, we saw more of Casey Rogers. We saw more of Jordan Riley. Riley got really, really good by the end of the year. I think he was really solid. We saw more of Taki Taimani, but Popo announced he's coming back. As I record this on Sunday night. Still no word on Brandon Dorless. I'm just saying. I am just saying. I don't know that I'd say I feel good about the prospects of him coming back, but I don't feel bad. I, I don't feel bad about it. So we'll just leave it at that and let it all play out. But Popo coming back is unquestionably a good thing. Now, is he a game changer on defense? no. But is he a really good player? Yeah, he was first team all Pac-12 in 2021. That's pretty darn good. Now, his specialty is stuffing the run, which Oregon, say for one game, was really good at this year. But I think the importance of him coming back is it negates the need to go find a defensive tackle who's a run stuffer in the portal the way they did with, with Jordan Riley this past season. Because... He now slides in. Taki Taimani is coming back, who I don't think is you know, the starting defensive tackle or one of them, but he's a guy who plays a lot. Right now, you're looking at Popo and Casey Rogers, who, again, we don't know at this point in time. We're going to wait and see. I would love for Casey Rogers to come back. I'm a Casey Rogers fan. I don't think he is a world beater. I don't know if he'll ever be an all pac 12 performer. He could be, but it's hard to do that as a defensive tackle to rack up those sorts of stats he's a solid player he's he's a really you you could do a lot worse could you do better yeah I mean if you put helloi not out there <laughs> or or Jordan Scott um I'm trying to think of what other defensive tackles I'd take over Casey Rogers. those two for sure uh everybody else kind of said t- well Eric Armstead force Buckner obviously like that's 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 kind of a given um but I'm not saying he's one of the greatest ever but He's, he's really solid. I, I think he's slightly above average. And and you take that. Not every guy is going to be an unbelievable NFL talent. And, um, but we'll wait and see what what happens there. So I, I think Popo slides in and takes the spot that was filled by Jordan Riley this year, who, you know again, didn't put up gaudy stats, but was really good. Did have that deflection on the uh, uh, the interception where Justin Flo tackled the guy out of the way and Bennett Williams caught it. It was up in the air. That was after a... Uh, Was after a fumble? No, I think it was after a pick. Yeah, I don't know. Oregon had turned it over, and we turned it over right back. He was in on that play. Did a lot of other really good things, but Popo probably is is there. He he definitely I think starts over Taki Taimani. And you know, if it did come down, like if they did add a transfer at this position, it would probably be Popo and the transfer, even over Casey Rogers potentially. But right now, as it stands. It's Popo and Casey Rogers on the defensive line. And I think that, that's an okay place to be. Um, so that is good news. It was not a surefire thing that he would come back. And now we'll just wait uh, Wait news on Dorless and uh, Casey Rogers. Uh, I, I wanted to wait until I could you know do this in, in full. And I think now is a good time. So Noah Sewell's career is over with the Ducks. And now he's going to the NFL. Probably mid-round draft pick. I'd say second at the highest. My guess... Mid third, mid mid third, maybe early fourth, somewhere somewhere in there. But I suspect he will get drafted, and I think he could be a a good NFL player. But I wanted to pay homage to his career because I thought he did a lot of really great things for Oregon, a lot of really good things for Oregon, and he's a guy who really really loved Oregon. And he said something specifically in in his post that you may not have been able to bet if it had been there before it came out with my friends at Bet Online, But, you know, you can bet a lot of other things there because it's your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From pro football to the college bowl season to basketball and beyond, we've got it all at BetOnline.com. If you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Online is where the game starts. So Noah Sewell, of course, put out one of those things that we've seen, you know, 500,000 times collectively as college football fans, which is the big, the big, long written posts and instead of putting, with that being said, my name is now on the transfer portal, which I'm pretty sure is like legally required at this point in time. It isn't actually, but it does kind of seem that way to have that phrase with that being said. But Noah Sewell wrote a really, a really, really nice letter to, to the Oregon fans, communities, family, coaches, all that sort of stuff. And w- when you recruit a five-star player of Noah Sewell's caliber, we all hope that he has the sort of career that Noah Sewell did. He didn't get cut off by injuries like Justin Flo. He was a really good player. From the moment he got there, as a true freshman, I remember watching him going, man, seems like he's making a tackle on, mm, I don't know, just about every play. And I think he's a guy who showed up and busted his butt I do think he, you know, improved from when he was a true freshman. Some people might say, hey, eh, he took a step back this year. PFF disagrees. Sometimes I disagree with PFF and my eye test tells me something different. But when you watch what he did over his career at Oregon, I think he was really, really good. And, and I don't think there was a ton of untapped potential. There weren't, you know, moments that I wish he he could have back or anything like like that. You know, I'm sure you could refer to a specific play. Oh, he missed this coverage. Or he missed this tackle. Well, yeah, that's, that, that, that's just football. But I think that's a guy who had a really, really exceptional career. And when you go after these high-level recruits, by the time they leave, you want it to look like Noah Sewell, going to get drafted, gave you three years. I think he missed, like, a a couple games here and there, really not very many. And when he was on the field, he was really, really good. And the other thing, too, that I teased before the ad read was he mentioned how he's going to miss shouting with with Oregon fans, which, like, a man after my own heart to mention that in in your farewell letter to – to us Oregon duck fans. So I, I like seeing that. And I I just wanted to pay proper respect to the great career that he did have. And I just love that little tidbit because that's, that's our thing, right? I mean, that's special and unique to us. And the fact that he, you know, enjoyed it so much and did it so many times that he thought about that whilst whilst writing that that note out, I thought was really, really nice and a really, really nice touch. So I'm rooting for Noah Sewell. I hope he goes up against his brother at some point in time. And I I don't know what I want to happen. It's like watching the spring game, you know? Like, well, do I want the offense to have a big player? Do I want the defense to look locked down? I don't know. Like, do I want Panay to pancake him? Or do I want Noah to swim move Panay and go sack the quarterback? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But it would be cool to see those two on the field at, at the same at the same time, which I, I'm sure they will be uh eventually. But it'd be really cool if they got on the same team. The Lions do need some roster help. I could see him I could see them drafting him. That'd be pretty cool. That you know what? That's what I'm rooting for now. I want the Lions to draft Noah Sewell. Go make it happen, Lions. Give us duck fans that at least. Uh and finally, just a quick... Uh, a quick... Nice. That's a new word. Uh, A quick peek into the window on how things are going for Oregon basketball. Um, Not not great on the men's side. That Utah Valley loss is uh, still stinging me at this point in time. And barring a historic run through conference play, the Ducks on the men's side will have to win the Pac-12 tournament to get into the big dance, but they've done that before. Most recently, 2018-19. Think it was yeah 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 that's right 2018 19 with Peyton Pritchard Lou King um, they do have some positive news on the recruiting front too Jackson Shellstad another Westland point guard that kid's a beast that kid is that kid is a beast but the upside for the Ducks when it comes to on court results is you know at least they beat the Bees they beat the Bees they were at home they played a really good first half. And then they played a not-so-good second half, but then Will Richardson just kind of said, okay, give me the ball, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go finish this one, which he did, hit a big-time, deep dagger three from straight on, was all net too, just switched it right through and ended the game right there. I like so many things about the team, I do wonder what they'd look like at full health, but... I don't wonder what the women's team would look like at full health. I mean, I, I, I do in a sense because Sedona Prince got hurt before the year began. But, 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 they beat USC 73-45 to 45 the other day. They're, they're in a little bit of a better place than the men right now. Still a long way to go. These check-ins, of course, will be regular. If you have any questions, as always, at Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter or at Locked on Ducks. You can hop in the YouTube comments as well. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.